Born on a mountaintop in Tennessee Greenest state in the land of the free Raised in the woods so he knew every tree Killed him a bar when he was only three Davy, Davy Crockett Fantastic adventure. Welcome to Nabumbu Lagoon. Only Disney could conjure up the fun and sorcery in bed knobs and broomsticks. Let's have a nice clean game. Knobs and broomsticks. A bewitching fantasy about spells, black cats, and medieval armor brought to life by magic. presents Bedknobs and Broomsticks. You will believe a woman can fly. Almost. Welcome, welcome, welcome to a very Wizarding World of Harry Potter style adventure. This is Be Kind Rewind, your Disney Plus movie podcast. I, of course, am Dan Teets. We have with us two people this week. We have back with us after the sabbatical Mike Bowen, Mike Bowen, aka it is, Ake My Bones. It has been a long time. Good to see you guys. Glad to be back. Wow. We are glad to have you back. And we gave him homework before this podcast started. And he does not like homework. <laughs> uh, no. We also have with us from the friendly con- confines of the Midwest, uh, Kyra Hawkins. I was waiting for you to, to just go ahead and say my name. I don't know why. <laughs> well, we are back together after so long. Off air, we were trying to figure out when the three of us had actually been together. We think it might have been sometime last year. But we're back together, and it feels so good. It's nice. <sighs> We are back for a Disney wizard movie. And this concludes our show. <laughs> we are talking about Bedknobs and Broomsticks, which was released December the 13th, 1971. It did $8.5 million at the box office, which was a whopping $61.3 million in today's money. Not bad. The 8.5 was actually much lower than what I thought it was going to be, because I thought it was, for some reason, I thought this movie made Bokuda bucks. Like, 25, 30, 40 million dollars, like most of the other, like, um, Mary Poppins, um, Peter Pan, those kind of movies. Obviously, it didn't get quite as well of a reception as we thought it was going to be. Both of my partners are silent on Oh, Yeah, I, I thought it was a much bigger movie, yeah. I did too. Um, I actually hadn't seen this before. And um, as I was watching, I just kept thinking like, they're trying really hard to um, make this Mary Poppins. And it was entertaining enough, but it was not Mary Poppins. It was Mary Poppins set in World War II with the anti-Mary Poppins. I actually put that down in my notes. Yeah. Yes, the anti-Mary Poppins, because she hated kids. Um, All right. Icky, had you seen this? I don't know why I'm keeping going, keeping on going back to Icky. Mike. Well, here's 
Here's the thing. I I thought for sure that I had. Like when you told me we were covering bed knobs and broomsticks, I was like, oh, cool. I love this movie. I watched it a million times growing up. And then when I watched it, I'm like, I don't remember this. <laughs> like the only thing I remember is the, the little spell that they chanted toward the end for the local, mo- mo- local motion spell. I remember that little cadence, but that's all I remember. So I don't know if I saw it or not. I don't know. Are you having a Mandela effect? Maybe I'm just having an old man moment. I don't know. <laughs> right. You're allowed to have an old man moment every once in a while, <laughs> as long as it doesn't get to be a recurring theme on the show. Right. I am right there with you. I thought that I had seen this one at least two or three times during the last 20 plus years that I've been watching Disney films. I didn't remember anything other than the little spellbound spellbound bed knob and i remembered the magical saying but i didn't remember that many soldiers which is actually a note that i have in our um notes for later on yeah so kyra this was your first time watching it yep and it will be your last time watching it i take it um i don't know that i'll watch this again unless like Keaton shows interest in it, which I kind of doubt that she will. Okay. Mike, will you be watching this one again? I think so. I think it was very entertaining. I may watch it. I may not. It all depends on if Thompson points at it and says, Dad, what's that? (laughs) And if that's the case, then we'll sit down and watch it, but not before we've watched Superman again to show him that men really can fly. All right. So our... Synopsis, which comes to us care of Wikipedia, goes a little something like this. In August 1940, during the Battle of Britain, three children named Charlie, Carrie, and Paul Rollins are evacuated from London to Peppering Eye near the Dorset coast, where they are placed in the reluctant care of Miss Eglantine Price, who agrees to the arrangement temporarily. The children attempt to run away back to London, but after observing Miss Price flying on a broomstick, they change their minds. Miss Price reveals she is learning witchcraft through a correspondence course with hopes of using her spell in the British war effort against the Nazis and offers the children a transportation spell in exchange for their asylum. She casts the spell on a bed knob and adds only that Paul can work the spell as he is the one who handed the bed knob to her. Later, Miss Price receives a letter from her school announcing its closure, thus preventing her from learning the final spell. She convinces Paul to use the enchanted bed to return the group to London and locate Professor Emilius Brown. Brown turns out to be a charismatic showman who created the course from an old book and is shocked to learn that spells actually work. He gives the book to Miss Price, who is distraught to discover that the final spell, substitutionary locomotion, is missing. The group travels to Portobello Road to locate the rest of the book. After an exchange with the old bookseller, Miss Price learns that the spell is engraved on the Star of Astor, a medallion that belonged to a sorcerer of that name. The bookseller explains that the medallion was taken back by a pack of wild animals given anthropomorphism by Astaroth to a remote island called Nabumbo. A 17th century Lasker had claimed to have last seen Nabumbu, but the bookseller never found it. Paul confirms its existence by revealing a storybook he brought from Miss Brown's playroom. The group travels to Nabumbu and land in a lagoon. And land in a lagoon. There, the bed goes underwater, where Miss Brown and Miss, where Mr. Brown and Miss Price enter a dance contest and win first prize. Just then, the bed is fished out of the sea by a bear who informs the group that no human is allowed on the island by royal decree. They are brought before the island's ruler, King Leonidas the Lion, who is wearing the Star of Astaroth. <clears throat> Leonidas invites Mr. Brown to act as referee in a football match. The chaotic match ends in Leonidas' self-proclaimed victory, but Mr. Brown swaps the medallion with the referee whistle as he leaves, and the group escapes, Miss Price turning Leonidas into a white rabbit when he tries to chase them. Back home, Miss Price exercises the spell, which imbues inanimate objects with life. When Miss Price is informed that the children can be moved to another home, she decides to let them stay. 
realizing that she has come to love them and vice versa. The children declare they want Mr. Brown to be their father, but Mr. Brown, wary of commitment, bids goodbye to the group and attempts to take a train back to London. A platoon of Nazi commandos land on the coast via U-boat as a part of an exercise and invade Miss Price's house, imprisoning her and the children in a local museum. At the train station, Mr. Brown fends off two Germans, cutting phone lines, and heads back to Mrs. Price's house, where he uses the white rabbit spell that he taught Miss Price so he can disguise himself to avoid the Germans. He finds Miss Price and the children at the museum and inspires Miss Price to use a spell to enchant the museum's exhibits into an army. The army of knight soldiers, knight's armor, and military uniforms chases the Germans away, but as they retreat, they destroy Miss Price's workshop, ending her career as a witch. Though disappointed that her career is over, she is happy she played a small part in the war effort. Shortly thereafter, Miss Price has officially adopted and committed herself to raising the three children. Mr. Brown has also made a commitment to becoming father of the children and moved in with them. Mr. Brown has enlisted in the army and departs with a local home guard escorting him, promising the children he will return home. Paul reveals that he has the enchanted bed knob, hinting that they can continue with their adventures. The Alright, so, Kyra, I'm going to turn it to you since you're the only person that hasn't seen the movie, or that doesn't remember seeing the movie. No, i definitely never seen it. I, like, I knew about it, but I just never watched it. Okay. What were your initial thoughts on it? Um, I liked it. I thought, um, you know, it started and I thought, okay, here we go. Another like five minute introduction <laughs> with this song. Um, it was about four minutes of, of opening credits. And um, my very first thought was, I'm glad that eventually they moved credits to the end of the movie <laughs> so that you can choose whether or not you want to sit through them. Um, but overall... I liked it. Um, like I said a minute ago, I thought it was um, just kind of like trying to be Mary Poppins and and getting close, but not quite reaching that level of goodness. Mike, greatness. what say you? My first thought was, wow, Angela Lansbury has really creepy eyes in this movie. <laughs> I just could not get over her eyes. They were like haunting my soul. <laughs> But other than that, I was like, oh, boy, this is going to be a controversial movie, huh? Nazis and stuff? Okay. This could get fun. And there was no content warning. Yeah. So I guess they showed the Nazis in a favorable light? Question mark? <laughs> I guess. We wonder, um, does Sound of Music have a warning for that? I don't know. It's on Disney+. Plus, so. Yeah, I, I don't know. We will not be covering that movie. Unfortunately, I think the next... Um, Julie Andrews' movie is Princess Diaries that we will be covering. Oh, well, I like that one. In about we'll get... 20 years. That's a good years. one. Yeah. <laughs> well, my initial thought on the movie is this was trying to be Harry Potter 40 years before Harry Potter came into being. <laughs> because, I mean, Angela Lansbury was taking a, a correspondence course on how to become a witch. And I think... That I don't know if she learned a spell. Of course, she learned a spell to get the to get the broom to work. But I think Harry Potter actually had an entire class on that his first year at Hogwarts. Yeah, because you had to know how to ride a broom to be able to play um, Quidditch. Quidditch. Yes. So we had that. Um, then we find out that the little kids are getting shipped off from the less fortunate children's home or whatever the name of it is. And Angela Lansbury somehow gets snookered into having to take three children because she had a big house. Yeah. So I guess I missed the part where it said that they were coming from like a children's home. And so throughout the whole movie and especially like towards the end, um, I was just I kept thinking, what about their mom and dad? Um, but I was also like it made me think about the reality um that people in London were facing during that time. And I don't know, I felt this is kind of serious, I guess, but it made me feel fortunate that like, we've never had anything like that in modern day America where we had to 
send kids to the countryside to be safe from something like that. Mm-hmm. And it was a blink and you'll miss it because I didn't even get a chance to write down what the name of the home was. But they, they were just shuffling them on out and they were the last three in the house. And they and... didn't really choice yeah but then when angela's like well i i'm I, I don't do children i i'm i'm not good with children they're like all right well we'll just go back to london and the lovely sooty air and i'm like okay also wasn't somebody riding a, a hagrid motorcycle with a sidecar type thing too or something? yes that that was yes she was she was actually riding it on the way in and because she got the broom from, I think, the local post office. Mm-hmm. And she wanted to make sure that she didn't have it broken. And that first night, it was broken because she didn't know the proper way to ride a broom. So well, It certainly wasn't a Nimbus 3000 or whatever no. it was. No, I don't even think it was a Nimbus 100. <laughs> it, it was just an old... And and I think that's because we find out when we see who the person is that's actually running the correspondence course, which is George Banks. Right. Yeah, I love that. So his life had gone from being a banker to being a used car salesman to being a charlatan magician. <laughs> a shyster, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I kind of would like to see that movie be made, where it's just everything's going wrong and he has to, like... He loses his job at banks, bings, boings, whatever the name of the bank is. So he moves to America, takes on a car salesman job. Obviously, he doesn't do well at that. And so he has to move back across the pond to London to try to sell people on bad kids magicians stuff. Because he obviously wasn't that good of a magician. Am I right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he was pretty bad. So... Um, but before we get to that, we have the introduction of the titular Bedknob. And did anybody else feel like they were watching Wonka's Imagination Ride whenever they had the transition from wherever they're wherever they're at to wherever they're going? Exactly what I was thinking with those lights flashing like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was trippy. It made me a little dizzy actually when I watched it. Me too. Oh, yeah, me too. I had to look away from the screen. Yeah, and I, I don't do well with strobe lights or any kind of light effects now anyway, now that I'm old. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. So when I first saw that, I was actually looking up, well, when was Wonka actually made? And it was actually released during the same year. Hmm. So this one was released in December. I'm wondering if they saw... Wonka in the theaters, and they're like, well, let's go ahead and copy some of that and put some of that, because kids love seeing things that make them want to puke while they're in a movie theater. <laughs> oh, yeah, like that's a big special fun. effects trend that year. Yes. Um, let me see. Naboomboo. I had a very King John feeling when I first saw just the drawing of the lion, because wasn't King John in Robin Hood a lion? Prince John was a lion and um, King Richard also a lion, but they were drawn better than this one. And I found this particular lion's voice grating. I didn't like him very much. Oh, it was like a pirate. It was like a terrible pirate. Yeah. Not only that, but I felt like all the animations were just copied from Robin Hood. Like that big bear in the very beginning was blue, but Mm -hmm. he was also little John from Robin Hood. Yeah. Same animation or very similar. But now I couldn't find actually the that was Dallas McKinnon. And I, I was kind of thinking that it was going to be Baloo jumping from life to life trying to make his way home. <laughs> but yeah. it it was not him. He was actually he was actually in a lot of animated movies and things. Yeah, nothing. The voice actors that I, like when I looked, I didn't recognize any of the names and mm-hmm. they weren't. Like, very recognizable from anything else. Yeah, and that, that's what I had actually saw. Um, so they go to Nabumbu because they have to find the five words because the book on Ashtaroth had been ripped in half. I 
don't know what Walt Disney was thinking calling upon a ancient Philistine god for this kind of a movie. Because <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's you, bizarre. Because you don't, of course, that could have been left out of the Bible, but you don't ever read about uh, the. Well, that might have been what happened with the two Dagon the God, and I'm bringing this all right back to Bible 101 Old Testament survey. Yeah. But, yeah, Ashtaroth is not the first name in witchcraft that I would expect to see in a Disney. Um, did anybody time how long the Portobello Road musical number was? <laughs> no. No, but too I long, huh? that it was too long. <laughs> well, my thought was how many different nationalities did you need to get in a musical number just to show that England is still an empire during the Second World War? Because it was, it was, and see, words are failing me tonight. <laughs> I think I counted like six or seven different nationalities. You had the Scots, you had the actual Indians, which are not the Native American Indians. You had people from Africa somewhere. It, yeah, it was, I want to say it was like a six or seven minute song. And it was just so that Angela Lansbury could go through every book to try to find, to see if she could find the second half of the Ashtaroth. There really wasn't any reason to have that long of a musical number unless you're trying to pad out what she was doing because she was trying to get to every booth before they closed up so i'm thinking it's about eight or nine minutes long um and the comment about the book reminded me like why was she opening every single book she saw and yeah. through the pages instead of just looking at the cover or the spine. Also, like, you're looking for half of a book. It's not going to be, like, those pretty ones that she kept picking up. Yeah. Nor were they smaller. The books themselves weren't even the same size, same dimensions at all. Unless she was looking for the second volume of the book. Or the second <laughs> release, which would have the information. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Why She doesn't need the second half of that exact copy. She can just get a different copy of the book, right? Yeah. And, I mean, unless that was the reason why she was looking at every copy to see if she could find Astronaut's Guide to Home Witchcraft, Volume 2. But, like, just look at the spine or the cover. <laughs> yeah. Don't flip through yeah. the whole book to see if you see what you are looking for. It was just, like, why? Why? Yeah. yeah. Also, her right. name is Eglantine. <laughs> Eglantine, Eglantine. <laughs> Don't remind me. <laughs> we will not sing of you no more. <laughs> I actually think you sent me a screenshot of when they went to Nabumbu. Mm-hmm. When they were underwater. Your comment was that her hair needed to be wetter and not quite as dry. Yeah, it was <laughs> like they're underwater and their clothes were all dry and their hair wasn't swishy. Um, it was weird. Like, I guess they were enchanted or whatever. Also, another musical number that went on for five minutes, which was way too long. And they didn't have bubbles coming out of their mouth. No, except for when the fish, like, swam into Mr. Banks's mouth. I, What's his name? Mr. Brown? Yeah. In this movie. yeah. Um, his alias in this movie is Mr. Brown. And um, <laughs> <laughs> a fish swam into his mouth. An animated fish, let's be clear. And, like, there were bubbles then. But that was... He didn't really see any bubbles. Yeah. And while he was singing, he just kept on singing. Didn't yeah. didn't gasp, right? didn't choke, didn't play his arms. Just keep on singing. So, this movie had so many reminiscent parts for me. And I actually had to pause the movie to go look for one. They had... The lagoon scene had, like, all these different fishes. Fish... Fishes. Fishies. I don't even know what the plural of fish is anymore. But it reminded me of a Looney Tunes cartoon called Fresh Fish. Because you had, you had like all the different types of fish, and the only difference was you didn't have a narrator over top saying, Look at the sea fish that 
that did all the things that it was supposed to. <laughs> I mean, it was... I think this movie could have been an hour and a half instead of two hours. Oh, yeah. Um, this, the name of the song is The Beautiful Briny Sea. And um, I forgot that oh, I wrote yeah. it down until I just looked, but it was like more like a boring sea. <laughs> it, was, it was boring. Like, they could have... Well, and this goes for the next sequence that comes up when they're on land in the animated part of the movie. Like that soccer game went on way too long and it was that funny. Well, that was only because George Banks actually played for Manchester United. Which, and if that's the case, why did he call it soccer and not call it football? Exactly. So after the seven minute, three hour, 14 second soccer game, football game. (laughs) I'm actually checking the time on it right now. Um, yeah. that part of the animation is 13, 14 minutes long, I think. Okay. It just got really monotonous toward the end when the goalies are just like playing tetherball back and forth, smacking it back and forth. Mm-hmm. And they're just watching it go back and forth. Yeah. I will say the, um, the vulture medics were so <laughs> fun and cute. Like they were so excited to like take the little stretcher out and help. And then the king would, like kind of call them off and then they look really sad and dejected when they were walking back to their place. Did that not give you a jungle book vibe? Those two? Yes. Well, there was actually a goofy yelp made by the hyena. Yep. I noticed that. So if you, if you are watching and Kyra is looking at me like, did I miss that? I think I did. Is it like, like the well. Goofy goes, yeah, <laughs> when he falls off cliffs. Yeah, and I think I think it was somewhere towards the end of the soccer football match, depending on what yeah. part of the world you're from. And so they do what turns out to be an unnecessary trip because the little boy had the words in his book. So I mean, we could have cut thirty minutes out of the movie right there. They still could have had a nice, like, animated sequence and still had the same outcome of, like, well, no one was listening to the little kid when he was trying to tell them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But what were the five words? I did not even write them down. Draguna, Mycoides, Dracorum, Sadas D. And you have to chant it like you're a monk from the sea. <laughs> so it doesn't work. When Angela Lansbury starts doing it, and that's because she hasn't made it musical or anything like that, because they have to have another seven-minute musical number, (laughs) where Mrs. Price's nightgown comes out and chases and starts dancing with George Banks. Bizarre. And then she says she's not responsible for for the nightgown's behavior. Well, it's your nightgown. Why don't you just... Grab it and throw it in the closet or something. And you're the one that enchanted it, Miss Price. <laughs> yes, and Roddy McDowell shows up to stop to stop by and see how every, everybody's doing. And his little cloister hat walks in, sees what goes what's going on, and walks back out. Can I just some... say that I saw his name in the opening credits. I was like, "Ooh, Roddy McDowell! I like him. He's cool." He was like in it for maybe four seconds at the beginning and then this scene and I was like I thought there would be more Roddy McDowell I was told there would be Roddy McDowell well he he was a priest and priests were not welcome in a witchcraft movie so um, so is substitutionary locomotion another one of those goofy made up things where like it it made me think of supercalifragilisticexpialidocious and also, um, in a more negative sense, fortuosity from the worst movie ever oh, made. So, <laughs> Why I, do you have to bring that up? I had blocked that out for the last two weeks. That's what this made me think of because I was like, first of all, the substitutionary locomotion song was dumb. And then I was like, is this even a real word? Did they make this up? Like they made up the other ones. Um, they keep trying to make another super 
fragilistic expialidocious and they keep failing at it. You've got mail. (laughs) I'm actually not sure. I think that one may have been made specifically so that way they could have a another song for their movie tracks mm-hmm. because it is actually track number eight on their album to not be confused with the age of not believing with a flare the song that i can't sing anymore don't let me down <laughs> portobello road not to be confused with holiday road the beautiful briny a step in the right direction and nobody's problem now who knows what any of those songs were about other than the beautiful briny and portobello road they 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 don't quite stick with you like supercalifragilisticexpialidocious or fortuosity or fortuosity reprise yeah except in its badness um because that's what i thought it's like i have in all caps in my notes this is not a real word well substitutionary is a real word locomotion is a real word Substitutionary, though? Oh. Is, isn't that what they were saying? <laughs> they probably were. <laughs> I've already blocked it out. Well, oh, maybe, yeah. Maybe they did. Substitutionary. Yeah, no, it's S-U-B-S-T-I-T-U-T-I-A-R-Y. So, Judges? I, yeah, then that's probably not a real word. They made that up. I Substitutionary, yeah. So, I don't know. I was just like, oh, not fortuosity again. So, did anyone else get the get the thought that the rabbit spell was the most the easiest spell to do? Because how many times did they actually do it during the movie, including including George Banks actually doing it on himself twice, like or six at least, or calling it out once and it not working, and then having to do it again. And then making himself become a rabbit by wrinkling up your nose and looking at things. And then you run past the Nazi officers and they yell out, Hassenpfeffer! <laughs> yeah, I thought that was funny. So he goes in, they because Price and children have been locked in her witch's closet, which I didn't understand. No, they hadn't been locked in the closet. They had been locked in the castle confused about this like they were at the house one moment and then at the castle the next and either it didn't show it or i totally missed them like moving them there well i think they were goose walked there and then thrown in and then george banks gets caught by two nazis while he's trying to sleep waiting for the morning train Mm -hmm. and so he hops he literally hops in rescues them and then suddenly you have six million armed armor and chain mail lining up to fight a squadron of Germans. Yeah, an entire, like, all of the suits of armor in the country, it seemed, for that yep. one little corner of the island. Yeah, because there definitely was, when when you look around the castle itself, I mean, you had the two, the two banners, the four horns... And, like, three or four horsemen in their suits of armor. And I honestly don't remember any other pieces of armor that were there. There definitely weren't any musketeers from the later Disney movie, The Three Musketeers. Um, I didn't see any revolutionary soldiers. I, I don't remember seeing too many things of actual armor. But yeah, I'm I'm thinking that once she lost control of her song again, suddenly every piece of chainmail that had been made on the east on the um English Isle suddenly shows up. But then when they start to bagpipe out after the song or after the Nazis have fled back to their U-boat, there wasn't more than maybe 10 or 12 pieces that actually bagpiped out. Um I did not count. However, um <laughs> well, I didn't either, but it wasn't <laughs> there definitely was not as many pieces as it made you think there were because you just had like little groups and then 
once it was done, you didn't see but just the one little group that was in the little clearing of the of the forest. But in the beginning, they showed legions and legions of them, like a whole hillside. So I don't know if some of them got broken into pieces or if they just didn't show them at the end. Like they didn't, because it seemed like they had people inside of them, like laying down to, you know, they didn't just drop straight down to the ground. Yeah. They fell down gracefully in human form. So maybe they just didn't want to have the actors do it. That's possible. I thought that, um, I don't know, this was like eight whole minutes of slapstick. Um, and it was funny enough, I guess, like there were a couple parts that actually made me laugh out loud. Like, um, the salt, like the soldiers stopping and taking their Mm -hmm. uh, boot off and like dumping the bullets out was fun. Yeah. That I actually had that. That was a great gag with them shedding bullets in several different ways, just to Mm -hmm. make you realize that, Oh, by the way, in case you thought that the guy in the chain mail was real, no, he's another uh, anim, anim, animated armor bearer. So the Germans flee. Miss Price falls because they set off the fireworks at her house. And suddenly the army completely loses its wind and it's manifested by the bagpipes going out of all of them. And th- then we get a nice little bow wrapped up on it with a 60-year-old Mr. Brown enlisting in the army. Uh, also after like the kids are like, will you be my daddy? Yeah. Like I've known you for two days. Like daddy. Yeah. Oh they, yeah. They, and he's like, uh, I, I need to go now. <laughs> yeah. I'm joining the army and I'll be back in a minute. Yes. And just like, Oh, but will you, will you though? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it all depends on if you landed at Normandy or not. Ooh, uh, well, this takes place. It's set in 1940, so he's got a long road ahead of him. Yes, but he literally is like, "I'll be back before you've grown another inch or something." I'm like, I yeah. "Will you, Mr. Banks?" Yeah, will you though? <sighs> so they left the movie open for a sequel. But then he does kiss her on the way out. Yes. So there's that. But then with the with little. Bobby McFerrin doing his little holding up the bed knob. He's like, but we can still have adventures. <laughs> and then George Banks and the old man's guard walk off into the sunset. And we all live happily ever after. <laughs> yeah. We didn't even mention the old man's guard, whatever they're called themselves, song at the I, beginning, like which was not necessary because we don't see them again until later in the movie, like the very end. Yeah, we we don't we don't actually see them until the Germans have attacked the legions and legions of armor, and then like men to your post. And I'm sorry for the bad accent because I know it's not a Scottish accent, but <laughs> and. Then of course they're they're up to help George Banks march off to war, and hopefully none of them actually went off to war with him because they were all very ancient, very oh. ancient. Like no, Grandpa, go home and like smoke your pipe and enjoy the rest of your life because the next few years are going to be rough. Yeah, yeah. You you don't need to take your flintlock flintlock rifle off to war. <laughs> no. I just had this thought, like, God, I can't believe that I'm bringing this up because I already mentioned the worst movie ever made one time. <laughs> but, like, like The Happiest Millionaire, which I think I read in a couple places, like, they were trying to recreate, like, Mary Poppins with that movie, like, the magic of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they both end with, like, the old guy... It's like a happy ending, but the old guy's going to war, and he's excited mm-hmm. about it. I don't, I don't get it, Disney. Yeah. yeah, it was, it was, like I said, it was putting a nice, neat bow on the movie. Um, I've got no more notes. Do either of you have anything to add on? To the second worst movie ever made. Oh, I wouldn't go that far. It, wow. I mean, it had some similarities with the 
with the happiest millionaire, but it was actually better. Um, <laughs> like much, much, much better by comparison. Um, I just like the last thing I think I would want to say, um, is that I, even though like most of the songs were too long, the part where like he's singing to her to try to convince her to be his assistant or whatever, while she's trying to work. And she just gets so frustrated and tired of listening to him that she turns him into a rabbit. That I think besides the end where he manages to turn himself into a rabbit, I think that was the best use of the rabbit spell. Because <laughs> she was just like, please shut up. <laughs> Mike? Do you have I'm anything? just wondering, does, in this movie, is, is any person able to become a witch and cast spells do you not have to be of which blood or half blood or whatever can anyone just pick up a book and just start chanting made up work cast spells i, I wondered that because like when they track him down and she's like i need that last lesson and he's shocked that any of it works for her so yeah. i wondered like is it the is it the book is it the spells or is she like magical herself? Although later he, a terrible magician, turns himself into a rabbit. So maybe you just have to know the right words. Yeah. Well, Mike, why don't why don't you go ahead and write, um, Mr. Brown, care of London, England. Yeah. Let us know when you get your first lesson and report back to us on the wonderful ability to change anyone into. I don't even think that she was supposed to be turning someone into a rabbit. No. Now, now that now that we've mentioned that, it was a, we, yeah, it was a frog. It wasn't a rabbit. So not only did the spell work, it didn't work properly. Well, it's like the old school game genie when you put the code in slightly wrong and Mario's head was glitching. <laughs> she just didn't use quite the right word. Yes. But was it? I mean, it was like every time that they used the spell, the spell worked for shorter and shorter amounts of time, too. So it kind of gave me the the million-dollar duck thought that if they would have used it one more time, it wouldn't have done anything. And then they would have been, like, just standing there saying, um, guys? <laughs> Maybe. All right. Well, let's go ahead and move on. To the important part, the three important questions. And we are glad that we have Icky back, Icky slash Mike slash the other member <laughs> of the podcast. The long lost yes. contributor. The long lost amigo. Yeah. What is today's impact of the movie? I mean, we mentioned Harry Potter. Maybe there was a little bit of inspiration drawn from it. I doubt it, but <laughs> maybe. Maybe JK watched it many years ago. Yeah. I'm thinking there was a there was a lot of influences both going forwards and backwards because I think I mentioned three or four different movies that were kind of like this because you had Harry Potter, you had a very bad rendition of Prince John King Richard, not voiced by the right people, of course. You had the Wonka Vision Nine Thousand, and you had the Looney Tunes Fish. For six minutes under the ocean. <laughs> yeah. And of course, you had the most important Bugs Bunny line of all Hassenfeffer. Yes. <laughs> I just remembered this, and I don't know the exact numbers, but um, we kept saying this movie could be so much shorter and it would be better. I saw that they did the thing like Happiest Millionaire, where they released like several different lengths versions of this movie um i just i just remember that i was like oh yeah it probably was better without all the extra stuff but i don't know i don't have notes on what was cut or not yeah. i think i think i read the one on disney plus is like the middle length one but i might be making that up that actually makes more sense because i'm let me let me look it up sorry i'm looking deviated no, this from the question no, you're fine that that actually that is part of the question because is is the there, there was a 1996 reconstruction version which was two hours and 20 minutes 
Oh goodness! And then the theatrical version was nineteen is uh, from nineteen seventy one was one hundred and seventeen minutes. So where is this watch on my watch again list? Yeah, so we actually got the original theatrical version. So for anyone out there listening that has a copy of the 1996 version, either on DVD, Blu-ray, or VHS, which would require you to rewind it and to tell us what the extra parts are, you can write us at BeKindRewindDMP at gmail.com. Once again, the DMP stands for Disney Plus Movie Podcast. So, we've got two different versions of a movie that, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm trying to re, I'm trying to figure out which ep, which version I actually, or which part I didn't watch during the part that I did watch. <laughs> um, Confusing. Are we back? Yes. Was that just me? That was just you. I think that was just oh, you. Oh, wow. You had you okay. had st- you had statutory lo- lo- locomotion. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's like you were repeating the email address, and um, it just like stopped, and I was like, "Uh oh." Um, and then I thought, "What if it's still recording me?" So I didn't want to say anything. I was about to send you a message because uh-huh. I was like, "Oh, what's happening?" And we're going to leave all of this in for our listeners. <laughs> For okay. posterity, yes. Yes, for posterity. This will I... be the this will be the uncut 2022 <laughs> reconstruction version. <laughs> I just yes. like like 30 seconds of the podcast I wasn't here for. <laughs> Can anyone think of any other impacts on the movie? No. Okay. Second question: Is this mirrored in culture? Icky, our dizzy, our Disney resident, our dizzy. A Dizzy resident. Not that I can think of offhand. I don't think there is any presence in any of the Disney parks, unless maybe some random song, but I don't think so. <laughs> Does this fit into today's culture in society? I mean, I can't really think of anything that stands out with... I mean, it, it's, like, it's like Mike just said. There's nothing really that... I mean, you don't hear of little kids being called Evan or Evangeline or whatever the whatever Mrs. Price's name was. Eglantine. Eglantine. Evangeline. Oh, my <laughs> <laughs> We've been gone for so long now. Oh, my darling. That's what I just kept thinking of. I mean, our society has been our society has been transfixed with witches for. A long time. I remember the old show Bewitched when I was a kid, and then of course Harry Potter. So, witches have always been like you know dragons and cowboys and astronauts, something that's a part of culture. So there's that. Yeah, that is true. Anybody else have anything additional to add before we throw this at the U-boat? No. <laughs> All right. I don't think so. All right. Well, before we give your give you your homework for the next episode. Since Mike did not make it to the 100th episode, we have asked him to write down his five favorite Disney movies that we've covered and his five least favorite Disney movies that we've covered. Ooh, that's tough. And I have them in no particular order, top five and bottom five, for different reasons why I like or dislike them. But I would say the top five that we've covered, or at least that I've covered, most of them, Song of the South, which I just loved because it was just a good movie. Mm-hmm. Regardless of what people say, it was still a fun movie. Saludos, amigos, because it reminds me of Epcot. Uh-huh. Uh, the Muppet, Muppet's Haunted Mansion, because the Haunted Mansion is just my favorite ride at Disney. Fantasia, because we were just tripping on how goofy the movie was. <laughs> we just couldn't get over how what must have been going on in the writers' heads. And Mary <laughs> Poppins, just because Mary Poppins, I mean... It's Mary Poppins, so, <laughs> you know. Okay. So those so were your five five. worst, right? No, this one, yeah, right. Five best. Five best, five best. Um, Old Yeller, just because I don't like sad movies. I can't handle them. I never watched Up because I couldn't get past the first three minutes. I don't like sad movies. Same thing with Dumbo. It's just, it was too sad. When the mom was in the, the cage and they were, like, holding their trunks with each other, I just, I lost it. I can't handle sad movies. <laughs> I'm so emotional. I'm gonna cry. Davy Crockett, because it was just like 
a bunch of short episodes that were stitched together. And I was like, eh, okay. Uh, Vanishing Prairie. I don't know. I just, something about it, about the weird animals and stuff. It was just like another animal movie and Reluctant Dragon because that goofy dragon just grated my nerves. I didn't like the way, I didn't like his accent, the way he talked. Yeah, his the, voice was just... The Reluctant Dragon is the only episode that will never be re-aired as a, um, as a classic episode. Just because listening back to it, we were, might have been a little too hard on it. <laughs> <laughs> a little harsh, yeah. So now that I've said that, everyone is going to go and download it and make it the most popular episode that we've listened to that we've done. So, yes. Oh, let's go check that out. Mm, okay. And then we will lose all of our listeners. Yay! Boo! Yes. <laughs> all right. Well, kids, it's that time again. It's time for your homework. Ooh. Don't worry. It's another animal Yay! So, your next movie, which we have already all talked about off-air, was a derogatory term for all three of us growing up. It is the 1972 movie, The Biscuit Eater. It is on Disney+, Plus because I've watched it, and Kyra's watched it, and Mike probably watched it, and we'll leave those judgments for a later date. So, until the next time that we are together, stay safe, stay hungry, and watch out for Mrs. Price's nightgown. (laughs) Talk to y'all later. You know, they should make a sequel to The Biscuit Eater with Jamie Kennedy and call it Son of Biscuit Eater. Son of a Biscuit Eater. (laughs) Thank you for listening. You can send us feedback at BeKindRewindDMP at gmail.com. We welcome any kind of feedback, and it might get read on the air in a future podcast. Once again, the email address is BeKindRewindDMP at gmail.com. If you have a moment, please rate and review our podcast on whatever streaming service you are listening to us on. This and word of mouth are the two ways to help us reach a larger audience. Thank you in advance for doing this. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you have a great day. Goodbye. Traguna, Macoides, Precorum, Satis D. Nothing happened. Am I doing something wrong? Well, to tell you the truth, it does seem a bit old-fashioned. After all, we are in the 20th century. What do you suggest? Well, it needs rhythm, tempo, music. As I always say, do it with a flair. Uh, do you mind if I have a go? Oh, of course not. Now come along, you lot! We need all the help we can get. Traguna, Macoides, Tracorum Satis D. Traguna, Macoides, Tracorum Satis D. Tracoides, 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 Mystic power that's far beyond the wildest notion. It's so weird, so weird, and yet wonderful to see. Substitutionary locomotion come to me. Traguna, Macoides, Tricorum, Satis, Steve.